Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you. Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient, the book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 bestsellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm Mary Fran Bontempo with my buddy and partner in crime here, Kristen Smedley. Today, we are bringing you a guy who, upon our meeting each other, realized that there were just tons and tons of connections uh, with all of us. And I wanted to talk to this new friend of ours, Keith Baldwin, for so many reasons, uh, not the least of which he is buddies with our buddy Luann Khan has a new book out called A Leap Year of Firsts. And we're going to talk about that, but also we'll get into his story. He did an amazing pivot during the pandemic at the beginning of it and has just lived in a brilliantly resilient way for quite some time now. So welcome, Keith. We are so glad to have you with us. It's great, David. Great to be with you. So I want to start where kind of all this started with you and where so many people's um, sort of transformation began. And of course, that was at the beginning of the major sucker punch of the pandemic, our near and dear friend who will not leave. (laughs) But you use that um, pandemic as an opportunity to do so many new things and kind of really ignite your life. For those of you who don't know Keith, he is the, um, the head of Spikes Trophies here in, in Philly, in the Philly area. And back in 2020, you had a major sucker punch with your staff. So take us through that experience because it's the starting off point for so much of your brilliance. Well, I don't know how brilliant I am, but uh, <laughs> I started the year Quite honestly, you, you mentioned Luann Kahn, which was the inspiration for the start of my book. So I started 2020 committed to doing a, a first every day, uh, something I had never done in my life. And one of those things was to write a personal journal. I wanted to document those firsts and happened to be a leap year. I was very fortunate. So I wanted to document 366 of them and produce a book uh, more for posterity's sake, maybe print a few copies for my my kids and my family. Um, and the pandemic showed up in the middle of my leap year. Uh, so it started out fun and games, uh, typical bucket list items. Um, the hardest one before the pandemic was driving the speed limit for a day. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I have a problem with that one myself. I claim it's impossible to do. I had so many people tell me I was number one Uh and they honked their support. And I was, well, I'm on Grand Avenue. It's 30 miles an hour. Nobody does 30 miles an hour. Nobody was happy with you that day, were they? No, no. (laughs) That was the type of things. I raced a car 
typo, typical bucket list type items. And then um, I, the year, the pandemic produced a number of unwanted firsts that I could have never planned for. Um, and I get emotional talking about it because it's still fresh. Um, first time in my life, I stopped paying myself. Uh, working for free. First time in my life I ever worried about the, the 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 continuation of my business. I've been here for 40 some years. Businesses have been around for 90. Um, I worked the first 25 as a uh, an employee uh, for a couple absentee owners and ended up uh, uh, realizing a lifelong goal that I wrote when I was 18, which is buying the company with my friends. And I've owned it for 15 years. So it was a, a life's journey. And in an instant, it was basically going away. Um, on March 20th, 2.30, uh, it's a Friday. First time in my life I ever laid off an employee. And I laid off all 45 of them. And <laughs> it was, it was, um, I, it felt like death. Um, it, my business in the awards business is tied very closely to the event, event business. And we, if you think about it, um, those events just evaporated. Uh. I didn't need the governor or the mayor to tell me that we were not essential. My customers were telling me that. Um, think about the major events in Philadelphia, Broad Street Run, Penn Relays, etc. That Vale Regatta, well, they just canceled. Um, first time in 125 years, the pen relays did not run. Um, so that happened immediately and we had to lay them off. Um, relationships on my card as I'm the chief relationship officer and my job is to build relationships. And I, 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 I try to build them before I need them because you never know. Uh, and I love helping people. So I was very fortunate. I had communicated our situation with our bank that we were basically closing and I didn't know if we were gonna be open again. Um, and they offered me loans to keep me afloat. I couldn't do that because I didn't think I'd be able to pay them back. But so it just so happens they had another customer on the other side of this divide and, and, and the pandemic created a divide. There was people that thrived through it. If you were in the real estate business or anything that had to do with home or the Amazon, the stay-at-home effect, you, you it was a rocket ship. If you were on the event side, restaurants, caterers, the awards business, you were struggling to survive. Um, and it is in my business, it's the busy season. The second quarter is when we make our money because of all the events. Well, there was no second quarter. That's why I didn't think we were going to be a very, we weren't going to be an ongoing concern. But just by fate uh, and by friendships, uh, the bank called me and said, listen, we've got another long-term customer who is a call center. And they just got awarded the contract for the, the state city of New York when the body bags are building up oh. due to the, 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 the pandemic. Uh, and they had to find people to make calls immediately because they were setting up COVID test appointment calls for the city of New York. And they needed to get people in those seats immediately to start calling. Well, she knew that we had 50 people, 50 seats to fill. And she called me and I couldn't say yes fast enough. In five minutes, I made a deal with the owner of that company 
And at 4.30 that same day, another first, I hired them all back as a call center. Wow. And one of our core values, we got 10 of them, is the ability to say yes. And God bless them. They, they, they all said yes. And you can't imagine turning a trophy company into a call center over a weekend. And we were calling the next week. Uh, so they worked, we worked, uh, day and night, uh, technology, obtaining and setting up the, the systems, uh, marrying a antiquated state system, New York, that was on, um, <laughs> I don't think you're old enough to even know what DOS is. Um, I am. A DOS system, and you had to hook up today's technology to that wow. to get the information to make the calls. Uh, we had to set our people up from home. Some of them didn't have uh, laptops. We had to buy them laptops. There were um, a, a, a restriction on the number of laptops you could buy because at the time everybody was starting to work from home. We found our way around that. Um, headphones became a big issue. I spent a day looking for headphones on a Saturday because uh, everybody was out, including the manufacturers. Found them under a rock in Arizona and had them flown to us. Um, and we started calling. We ended up calling for a year. So it's it, it saved our employees' jobs. Wow. Well, you know, it's amazing. When we talk so much about what you can do um, in living brilliantly resilient from your core values and how it makes decisions easier and, and whatnot. But you're also showing us that it makes the impossible possible. When you all are a, a team working under the same core values, coming to the table with that same uh, energy, that it really does make the impossible possible. Because that sounds like insurmountable challenges. You know, like, okay, you have your heart in the right place and this wonderful fate that, that brought all everybody together. But then it's one thing after the other you had to climb up and over. Well, as it was starting, I, I told my staff, I mean, I knew the storm that was coming. Uh, I knew it. I was watching a Sixers game. It was March 11th. And across the bottom of the screen, it said the NBA had just canceled its season. Mm. At that point, I texted my partners and said, we're in trouble. I knew it immediately. And it happened very quickly uh, to the point where we had to close on that 20th. And when I, the, the silver lining was, uh, and God bless them. When I told them that they, I was laying them all off and we were closing, uh, a number of them said to me, can I come in Monday? And even if you don't pay me and uh, we'll work for free. Wow. Uh, that's, that's what makes you want to do it for them. No, you, yeah. you hit on so many of the things that we, that we do talk about in being brilliantly resilient and that whole idea of the core values, as Kristen said, when you surround yourself with people who operate on that same level, you know, all ships, you find a way, you, you find yep. a way, and that's what you ended up doing. And, you know, when we, when we book our, our calls and our recordings for Brilliantly Resilient, I always ask people, give us three things that you want to talk about. It, here's the, here's the best one that I, that I love this. The first thing that you said to me in, in this form was limit your pity party. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just like, that's genius. We always talk about you can visit this place of challenge and sadness and all that, but you don't live there. 
And you literally just epitomized that. I mean, of course, it had to be enormously painful, but you didn't live there. It, uh, and I threw a hell of a pity party. Um, <laughs> why, why me? Uh, my life's work. I mean, it, I, I'm out of business. I'm broke. Uh, um, and but those uh, those emotions uh, don't help you with solutions. So that's why I had to limit them. OK, great. You know, feel sorry for yourself. Get mad. Get angry. Um, cry. I check, 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 check. Uh, crawl up in a ball, get depressed, but none of those, none of those find solutions and none of them uh, move you forward. Um, so I had to limit it. And I talk about that. Uh, and, and now that I start to get out there and start talking about uh, in front of groups with the book, that's one of the first things I say, you got to limit your penny party. Throw a great one, you know, <laughs> feel sorry for yourself, have a ball. But and have a little bit of hangover, but limit it. Try to limit it to 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever that time frame is, and then start going. I like it. I like that you honor the fact that that I think it's important to, to at least have a bit of a pity party, as opposed to folks that you know think that okay, I'm just going to flip the switch right away and make this positive. That you know it doesn't work for most of us. So but I like that you say limit <laughs> because look, very friend knows. I can throw a pity party worthy of the biggest trophy you've ever made. <laughs> but definitely, I like the word limit because it gives you the permission to do it. And then, okay, knock it off and we got to take a step forward. And then the next step was to ask yourself good questions. And not only of yourself, but of trusted others. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I did that. The, the, the small business community is a ecosystem upon itself. And I called or was called by a number of small business people in the same boat. And we shared our pity party, but we also started to ask ourselves better questions. Instead of, you know, why me? Why not me? Turn it. And, and, and then how can I? And what would success look like? What would I need to do? And, and you just, and it just starts to turn off that pity party and start to put your mind in a better frame to start finding solutions. So much of this is a mental game as much as it is anything else. And until you get that mental headset aligned with moving forward, your, your, your head, your brain is, I guess it's going to do what you put into it. So if you give it the opportunity to find solutions, that starts you on that path. So I started to do research and there's a lot of research, psychological research that we as human beings are wired for a negative bias. Mm -hmm. In other words, a loss stays with us longer than a win. Um, it, it's something about us. So you've got to be conscious of that. And those questions should help you control that negative bias um, so that you can look towards solutions. And then start leaning on your core values. One of ours is a win-win. I wanted to find a win-win. And uh, the other thing that I found myself in the middle of, and it just sort of happened. I don't know how it happened, but to give people hope. Um, instead of it being, oh, my God, it's the end. Well, there, well it's not the end. We're, there's, there's something beyond. What can it be? Um, so... The, the, I thought those were important that 
just gotta have hope. You know, um, you you said, um, what can it be? And one of the things that Kristen and I talk about all the time is you can't be married to an outcome. You can't have something in your head and refuse to to look at any other possibilities. Because then how many times do your plans work out? And clearly the, the pandemic taught us that the best laid plans can fall apart in an instant. So I really like that idea of what, what can it be? How, how can I? Instead of making a specific, here's my plan, here's what has to happen. It was, what could this be? We always say when you let go of what things should look like, you make room for what they could look like. So it sounds like a big part of what you did. And the same thing with your book was kind of clearing out those expectations and putting hope and questions, leading questions in its place. Yes. Uh, and when I hear you say that, the other thing came to mind is after we got our people settled and I started working on other people's companies to help them, my why became saving jobs, save a job, save a life. And I became consumed by it and made me do so many things that I never thought I was capable of doing. Uh, trying to help others. Uh, worked on a catering company to try. They just laid off 200 people to save their jobs. We brainstormed. The, the lady who runs the company is brilliant. But she just needed a catalyst to get out of her pity party and unleash her brilliance. And very shortly in a day, we came up with a, a plan to feed all the local hospitals uh, with pre-made uh, dinners for the week so that the people on the front lines didn't have to think, didn't have to shop, it alleviated stress. They just picked up the bags and they had food for the week. Um, and, it, and it brought all her people back. Uh, I filled a restaurant with my reservation. I, uh, um, their first day back after being closed for four months, I ended up filling the whole week. Uh, so I was there for the whole week, like a, a, a father at a daughter's wedding, greeting all the people that came and supported my friend's restaurant. Um, I slept on the streets of Philadelphia as a homeless person. I wanted to feel like, what was it like to lose a job? I mean, the, some of the calls we made, we ended up migrating the calls for the state of California and New York, and we took unemployment calls. And we had an actual suicide on the line. Oh, and it was, uh, it was not the trophy business. It was very hard. Uh, but also very inspiring. And then you talked about uh, doing something different. Uh, not only did we call, did do calls, we ended up getting into selling PPE, uh, masks, sneeze guards. Uh, we, we had our first million dollar sale in our history. We sold sneeze guards to a school district. And then we had multiple million dollar sales. We ended up becoming part of the supply chain for the state for medical gloves that were used for the vaccines. And uh, that's another book. Uh, you can't believe the many bad actors that were in that game in supplying and connecting those dots to get that product to the people that needed them. Oh my God. Hmm. Uh, it was, but at, out of all that, we replaced all our lost original sales with other sales that I would have, could have never dreamed of. Never wow. dreamed of. You know, it's, it's amazing that you're talking about before the pandemic, your, one of your biggest or hardest first was driving the speed limit. Now you're talking, yeah. then pandemic hits. And I, I, I thought to myself, oh, did the book stop? 
because everything in the world stopped. And now you're talking the first million dollar sale. Did you include all of those firsts in the book? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. The other thing that I liked about it is when, as I was reading the book, not every first was a, clearly, I mean, obviously with what you're talking about was, was an, was a planned first. Like some days you intentionally did things, absolutely. but other days things happened and you recognize them as a first. And that's the part that kind of, kind of struck me because things happen to us all the time that if we just looked at them with a different perspective and, and perception and, and a different eye, they are firsts and we might be able to do something with that, but we're so busy and trying to get onto the next thing that we don't often, you know, reflect, I guess, maybe. And, and I'm getting the sense that you ended up doing a lot of that, a lot of that reflection based just on that new awareness and way of looking at things. Every day I woke up, you know, some of them, like you said, I, I had a plan for years or a month in advance um, and others just happened. But every day I woke up, okay, what's my first today? So I was conscious of it. It was the threat of sanity through the insanity. Hmm. If that makes any sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I, that I liked about this is that so many of your firsts were grounded in service. And Kristen and I talk about that all the time. If you want to find your brilliance, ground it in service, because when you're, when you leave with your heart, all the neurons and the, the brain stuff just follows because everything then is in alignment. And you, again, maybe not by choice, at least initially, but you had to leave with your heart so many times throughout this whole process. But I was just trying to pay it forward. If you think about it, that phone call that I got less than an hour after I laid everybody off, it was 327. I wrote it down because I knew how significant it was. Allowed me to do all this. So somebody gave me that opportunity. I'm just trying to pay it forward. Um, So I was given a gift and I was given many gifts. Uh, One of the first was uh, when I was going through this and and I I got a golf group. We've been together for 20 years and I canceled. I was one of the starters of it. And first time ever I canceled on the golf trip. I just couldn't go because I was in this storm. And one of the guys uh, uh, sent me a check in the middle of this, I open it up and to a good guy who needs it more than I do. First time in my life, anybody ever sent me talk about a gift. Those things were happening. A thousand dollar check just made out to me just because, because he knew I needed help. I never cashed it. It means more to me than anything on that, that I could ever get out of the, 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 the money aspect of it. It was that support. It was that kindness, that act of kindness. And so many people did that to me for me and i'm just trying i was just trying to pay it forward kristen we lost your sound we lost your sound um well you know in terms of paying it forward i think again this aligning of the heart and the mind when you um when you recognize that and and other people respond in kind it creates this sort of wellspring of not only positive emotion and positive feelings, but then positive action results from that. So, okay, so what what happened as a result 
on other people of your first? Like, how did your family react to all of this? And how did other people react to this idea of you doing something different? And then maybe seeing how that built for you over this year. Well, first, I'll take my wife. God bless her. Um, <laughs> a number of them, she thought I was absolutely out of my mind. Um, <laughs> One day I walked through the house because I wanted to feel like what it was like to be blind. And I stumbled through the front door. I had my my eyes taped and I was feeling around. And she says, what the hell are you doing now? Um, <laughs> uh, she tried. I mean, she questioned my sanity and tried to talk me out of and was extremely concerned about me street, uh, sleeping on the streets of Philadelphia December mm-hmm. 5th, uh, which I understood. Uh, but I just had a passion about it and I wanted to experience it. But then I think she was proud of me from doing a number of them. She was uh, a number of them. She helped me with um, uh, learning a magic trick uh, and performing it. She was my guinea pig, um, tying a bow tie for the first time. I, I, I typed in how to into YouTube so many times. <laughs> when, when you do something for the first time, you don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So YouTube became a lot of my teaching. I took online courses to paint, to draw, uh, to guitar lessons. So I did a lot of that kind of stuff to learn. But like I call her and say, listen, uh, can you pick me up a bow tie? I don't have a real bow tie and I want to tie one today. That's going to be my first. She's like, oh, my God. Or, <laughs> I, I did this one. I, I, I In the middle of the pandemic. Somebody sent me a, uh, a YouTube of John Krasinski from The mm-hmm. Office. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. And he was doing this uh, uh, podcast. And I can't remember what it was called. Some some good things or one good thing. Yeah. He started it during the yeah. pandemic. Yes, yes, yes. So, some good so, news. That's what it was. Yeah. Some good news. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so he, he, he somebody sent it to me and I watched it. And at the end of it, he gets up and walks away. And he's got a tutu on, like this. <laughs> oh my God, and you have yours on. I did not so, expect that. <laughs> <laughs> so exactly, and that was the response. Oh my so God. I, I immediately called my wife again, God bless her. I said, you gotta, you, can you order a pink tutu for, from uh, Amazon for me? She says, what the hell? I said, well, I, it's going to be one of my first. I'm going to wear a pink tutu. Well, I can wore- tell you, it's one of our first too. For anybody <laughs> who's just listening to the podcast, Keith just got up and showed us that he is wearing a pink tutu. We've never had a guest wear a pink tutu before. So <laughs> thank first. you. Well, I, I did it twice for first <laughs> last year. I, I utilized it twice. Once was I'm, I'm uh, the president of a national buying group in my uh, industry. And there's 65 people like me around the country. And we're usually the largest, oldest within our geography. And if you can imagine, uh, my members were going through a storm. Uh, They had lost their busy season and laying off people. And we had a board meeting, an emergency Zoom board meeting, the first Zoom board meeting that we've ever had. And I decided I was going to wear my pink tutu. So again, to, to lighten the mood, to say, okay, guys, yeah, we're in a storm, but let's keep our wits about us, keep a smile on our face. People are counting on us to lead your employees, our communities. So I, I, I ended the, the, um, 
the, the Zoom meeting, I got up and said, excuse me for one second, I got to get something. And I got up and I had my on, and it got the response that you I got from you. So that was the first time. The second time with, was with my golf group when I was golfing horribly. And uh, I was on the winning team and I was with one of the guys who was having the best day of his life. He was shooting 78 hmm. and we were winning. And one of the guys said, you know, Keith, uh, you, your team could win without you. They don't need you. Uh, so I, 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 I had packed it in my golf bag. And it was at Scotland Run on the 15th hole. So they're up there looking into par three. So I got it out, put it on. I walked up to the tee and it's on the back cover of my book. That's me on the tee. I missed that there was a tutu on you. I don't know because I was literally just <laughs> in that cover of it. It's right there. So, right there. That's hilarious. You're like, what the hell? You're n-. So I did a little cheer for my partner who was having the best. And I ended up playing the rest of the round with a pink tutu walking the course. Now, as a recovering shy person, I would have never, ever thought that I'd ever do anything like that. Uh, but the first made me do that. It made me stretch, made me go out of my comfort zone and try things I would have never tried. So that's the other things that the first did for me. Mm. It challenged me to do different things. You know what I love about the, the first, because what I was wondering when I when we were first coming into this interview, can you hear the audio okay now, Mary Fran? Okay. Yes. When we were coming into the interview, I thought, hmm, I wonder if doing those first impacted you in some way to get through the, the pandemic in such a major way. And what I'm hearing is, I love that you said, when you then, as each challenge day was coming, you looked at it as an opportunity to watch for what the first was going to be. Like, like I often say, look with hopeful eyes, because when my two boys yes. were born, I don't know if you know my backstory, my two boys were born blind. All my expectations for their life went out the window, right? So I was had a different expectation of a mom like, oh, what are you going to figure out today? As opposed to, oh, you're never going to figure this out. It was, oh, let's see what you're going to figure out. And boy, have they figured some incredible stuff out. But when you just switch that, that little switch that you look at things differently as an opportunity, as you're saying, oh, you're, you're proof of where that can take you. So I'd love to interview your boys because in, in my first of ever being blind for a day, I, and I write about this in the book. I mean, I already have sight. I've already seen a sunrise. I know what the color blue looks like. Mm -hmm. But when you're born blind, and I say that, what happens if you're born blind? You don't know what blue looks like. You don't know what a sunset looks like. What what do you do? How do you perceive the world? I'd love to hear that from your kids. It's very interesting. I'll send you my TED Talks. I talk about it. It's very, um, they, they experience stuff with all their other senses that we don't like I took them uh, just to get off on a tangent for a second we were snowmobiling once on a on a mountain in Colorado at the continental divide they're on snowmobiles and my sighted daughter was like are you kidding me with this like we're throwing the boys on this you know going as fast as as we possibly could when I tell you at dinner they talked hours longer than the sighted people that were involved in that because there was so much more 
I mean, I mean, they could yeah. hear things, they could smell things, they could probably smell the pine cones. Even sensing the changes in air pressure that went air pressure. over our heads, like they just experienced. Yes, some of it is, um, you know, maybe a, a missed opportunity, but for the most part, the majority, they get more out of an experience than we do. There's a lesson there somewhere. Well, and that's what I wanted to bring up to you, though, and, I, and I'm glad that you touched on this because I know you didn't know Kristen's backstory, but when I read I that piece about, about you trying to experience blindness, the thing that struck me was that you asked those questions at the end of it. You, each of these experiences for you was, it was not, I did it, I learned something, I'm moving on. It was a, a window that you opened with each experience and it it resulted with more questions. Yes. What is it about this? How can, you know, how do other people experience this in a fuller way than I have? What is their life like? So it opened you up to not just saying, oh, I did it first, look at me, to, to an awareness, a much greater awareness of the rest of the world and how that operates. And you did that consistently. And that was one of the things that I loved about this book, that you used it as a it, it wasn't just a first to be a one and done. It was a jumping off point for you. It, 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 it you know, that you say that I didn't really think of it that way, but yes, it was. Yeah. It made me learn so much and experience. It made me live life better and mm-hmm. more fuller. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I think when we realize that, that as we go through and we realize the less that we know that we know that makes any sense, it, it fills us up more. You, you, it's almost like questions fill you more because it gives you an opportunity to learn more and to yes. be more aware of the rest of the world. So you end each of your experiences with a question and, and it's a beautiful thing because it gets people thinking. It's not like this you know, funny book of, oh, you know, look at this crazy guy, he wore a tutu. It, it translates into other things. It's that just that piece that you said about being shy and tapping into what these things mean and making it more than that, more than that little, you know, funny little instance. And, and uh, at the beginning, uh, first of all, this is not a unique thing. I didn't make this up. I borrowed it from your friend, Luann Kahn. I got a, sh- a shout out to Luann who inspired me. I was at, by happenstance, I didn't know Luann at the time, uh, at a human resource meeting at a South Jersey restaurant. And I was going there as a guest to see if I was going to join this organization to see if it would benefit me with building my relationships. And she just happened to be the speaker that day. And it was her book, you know, uh, I, I, I Dare, I dare me. me. Mm-hmm. And her thing is to do the new. And she got the, she told some stories and she got emotional first time she ever had a, a, a conversation with a homeless person. And it got people kind of teary eyed with the way she expressed it. it was still emotional to her. And then she said, you know, I want everybody here to commit to doing a first next year, you know, some action item. And, and oh, by the way, write it down and share it with the person next to you. In other words, commit to the goal. Well, I wrote Fly a Plane. I'd always wanted to do it. I thought I was too old. It had passed me by. I didn't have enough time or the money to commit to it. And But I just did it. Uh, and I was one of the ones that raised their hands a share, and I got up and said, you know, fly a plane. And yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and, and you think of those things, you walk out the door and you know, the day hits you in the head and you just forget about it. And you move on. But I stayed after and I got a signed copy from her. And I said to her that day, I said, I'm going to do this. You inspired me. Hmm. And, and I committed to it. I bought the book. She signed it. She doesn't remember signing it. Uh, she came back and re-signed it for me, actually. Um, and I started reading it, and I started borrowing some of her first. I started compiling, and that's how it started. Wow. And uh, the first one I stole from her, which was going to be the um, Polar Bear Plunge in Atlantic City. But little did I know that I had AFib at the time, and I was scheduled for an ablation in early January. And my doctor, a friend of mine, said, you're doing what? <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> he says, you could kill yourself with that. Yeah. So I changed it. My first uh, first was first time uh, seeing the Mummers live on Broad Street. Oh, Always, that was your first? That was my first. Wow. And the second one, the second day was the first, the start of my daily journal uh, and then documenting it. And then it just went on from there. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation for so many reasons, and we could probably talk to you for hours more because there's just so much in this book to appreciate. I want to show this to everybody again, a leap year of firsts, how I found my why. That's, that's a beautiful, a beautiful subtext of that line there. So Keith, please tell everybody where they can learn more about you, find more about the book and get a copy of it. Well, as a first-time author, it's the first book I've ever written. I've been coached to do my uh, to get a author's website put up, which I have. So it's Keith Baldwin, my name, first, that's plural, dot com. Very creative of me. Um, <laughs> Everything we do is brilliantly resilient. So we're right in the same, right in the same lane with you there. <laughs> you can also find me at my business's um, website, which is gospikes.com. That's G-O. S-P-I-K-E-S.com. Either will work. Keith, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. This is this, I mean, I've taken copious notes. I don't know if you see, saw me looking down and scribbling, but I've taken copious notes and people will be hearing more from you as we get this episode on air. I want everybody to take a, a look at this book. It's amazing. Keith is amazing. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Kristen, I'm going to turn it over to you. And I'm going to leave everybody with this thought that I want to make sure landed because Keith, you said it so quickly, but I thought it was so profound. You talked about a woman who needed a catalyst to pull her out of her own pity party. And here at Really the Resilient, we talk about surrounding yourself with a tribe that can help you. And, and we also find it to be extremely important when you have your eyes open to be out there uh, and, and helping somebody in, in your tribe and being a part of their tribe. So thank you for pointing that out. I'm gonna make sure people have a, an opportunity to look for that this year. Many firsts of opportunities to help somebody in their tribe and be a part of someone's tribe. And if you need more resources for resetting your mindset and looking through a lens of living brilliantly resilient and for things like doing the first, go to our creative website, <laughs> brilliantlyresilient.net. And if you blink three times when you get there, you can get this magical pop-up and add yourself to our list where we send you a bit of brilliance every single week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. See you next time. Next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.